Well, hello. It's uh, Chappie, your British butler. And I'm, I, I do feel like I'm being steamed slowly. I just wish I was wrapped in the London Times or something on parchment paper. So, uh, you know, just to, just to get rid of some of the heat. I, think part, I, I know that some people boil fish and steam fish that way. They wrap it in parchment paper. Um, and of course the old English newspapers wrapped around fish and chips, but you can cook fish in parchment paper. And that's how I feel. I feel like I'm, a, I'm floundering around like a flounder wrapped uh, without parchment paper, uh, but wrapped in some very uh, sweaty t-shirts and uh, clothes that I've been discovering over the course of the last few weeks, like clothes that uh, I probably couldn't fit into before. Uh, but uh, since I've been going on my uh, seaweed shake diet, um, yeah, I can almost fit into everything other than the uh, gimp suit that uh, I tried to uh, squeeze into at university. But that, that's another tale, though. I won't go into that today. Uh, but we're trying to keep everything very light, summery. Uh, the uh, Butler Emporium playlist will be very beachy, be very summery. So if you like your music between your chappy, uh, I mean, I'm the uh, I'm like the pickle in the sandwich. I'm the meat in the sandwich, and you've got delicious uh, crusty bread either side, which is my musical emporium. That's where the butler likes to jig and likes to DJ and put his music on, uh, so everybody in. So put your records on, so everybody can hear it, and uh, it punctuates this sort of nonsensical silliness that we call Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode 105. Yes, we've made it over the 100 mark. Last couple of weeks, we've been looking at football and uh, really analysing the football. We had a 100th edition where uh, Uncle Jim the Weasel came along and joined me, uh, an old uh, old friend, an old cohort of mine from uh, Butler School. Uh, my daughter joined as well, uh, Victoria. And uh, so that's been the last couple of weeks. But today, very relaxed, very chilled. Lots of naughtiness, uh, lots of whimsical fun, uh, everything slightly carb laden. Maybe we're going for a slightly lower carb today. If you're on the beach, you need to have your beach body. And I don't think a lot of you out there own a Victorian bathing suit. Now that hides all sorts of indiscretions. Uh, it really does hide all the bulges, uh, anything protruding. Um, it, it's, it's a wondrous thing. So if you... Um, if you want to get rid of the, the bulge or the flab, like myself, or if you're moobalicious, then uh, the Victorian bathing suit is, is perfect. I mean, it covers everything, and it covers all um, of your hairy problems as well. I know hair is a huge thing on this podcast. I'm lucky because I have hair. I don't need to uh, get hair uh, follicles uh, and, and, you know, readministered from my back to my head, like some gentlemen do. And I tell you, lads, chaps, don't wear the baseball cap. That's why you're going bald. That's the reason. that the, uh, the baseball cap material stops the air getting to your hair. So it's like hair, hair, hair. So, that, I mean, that's what you have to remember. You, you, can't, uh, you can't wear the baseball cap because that's going to restrict all, uh, all air and all goodness going to your hair. That's why I never do it. Wear the straw Panama. I mean, be classy, for God's sake. Why everybody wears baseball caps. Wear something a little bit different. Wear a cotton or linen cloth cap or something like that. Just to give you that, uh, 
you know, that little bit of je ne sais quoi, that sick thing, dress to impress. Everybody wears the baseball caps and for God's sake, don't wear the trucker's hats. That's an abomination of fashion. The fashion police will come and arrest you and your ass crack hanging out of your trousers. It is, it is a, a, a true offense. Um, and uh, watch out because they, uh, they'll throw you away. I mean, the fashion police do not take kindly and they'll throw you in the clinker for many years. And um, you have to rehabilitate yourself and start understanding how to dress just a little bit better. Well, not a little bit better, a lot better. In, the, in some of the monstrosities I'm seeing, flip-flops, bad toenails, awful khaki shorts, you know, t-shirts with nonsense on them. I don't mind an old band t-shirt, but like dodgy icons and Bahamas 1989. I mean, you just come on now. Class it up, chaps. Class it up. I mean, one of the worst places, one of the worst places in terms of dress. Center of the United States is pretty bad overall. Sometimes you need a little pain when it comes to fashion. And that is the uh, mantra I like to live by. So today, we're getting very beachy, very summery. I don't want to see your toenails. I don't want to see your bad toenails. Keep, keep your feet in a nice boat shoe or something closed off. Ladies, most of you have lovely toenails, so you're okay. But chaps, cover those awful trolls feet up, please. Okay, so the show today. What do you have on the show, Chappie? Please, Mr. Music Man, what are we playing today? Well, today we have a fun pack show. To yesterday we talked about sword yoga. Taking on at your own peril if you want to become a pincushion. Uh, we also talked about Dr. Pimple Popper uh, moving into the world of sharks during Shark Week. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the sort of people that shouldn't be riding motorcycles. Uh, also, uh, a slight faux pas. Is it okay to give your clothes or somebody else's clothes that may have been in your life at one time away to somebody else? I will explain all later. It's very mystical and mysterious, but uh, we'll, we'll delve into that uh, maybe a little bit later. Uh, also, finding old clothes. That's part of the show right at the top of the show here. We talked about it. Um, also, American commentators... You know, really laughing about the archaic, whimsical, uh, sort of uh, slightly old-fashioned nature of being in the UK. So they're over or watching the British Open, and there's certain things that are amusing them. Certain types of ice cream, certain sports, certain attire. Why is it so funny? Get your blinkers off, chaps. It, it, it's the UK. You know, this is this is this is where you are at the moment, and uh, respect where you are and. Expect and also respect the eccentricity. That's, I think that's the key, key of the show. It's respect eccentricity. Um, I'm also going to get myself a t-shirt made up with a, with a new icon, a new mantra on it. Um, we never talked about Elon, Richard and Jeff yesterday. The multi-billionaires who are taking on space at the moment. We did talk about croquet yesterday. If you want to listen back, uh, listen, listen to the whole croquet feature on the show yesterday. Uh, also, uh, customer service reps. 
if you're moving, you have to call a lot of customer service reps, get your internet uh, traded over, your electricity, all of that. But some amusing things that I found whilst talking to customer service reps uh, very, very recently. Um, so that is the show. That is the essence of the show. The Brackley Morris men uh, is also um, are looking for new recruits. And I think Morris dancing could be a wonderful form of aerobic exercise. But you're using your hands, using your legs. You're also dressed in quite a lot of clothes. So we'll be looking at that later. Uh, and also maybe the corgi lock picker and the most fabulous dish that I discovered, the uh, honeycomb pasta. Uh, I'll tell you something. This chap, he's a young fella on Instagram, and he's making these wondrous, very delicious dishes. I don't think I've seen one that I haven't uh, haven't liked. It's nothing like Nigella's uh, abomination of the... Uh, of the whole uh, Marmite pasta that I saw the other week. That sadly we served the Marmite pasta to the Italians, uh, but they didn't bite and they won the match. So nobody would bite at the Marmite pasta. But this young fellow on Instagram is doing a great job and the uh, honeycomb pasta is, uh, is, is rather delicious. We didn't talk about Emmanuel Macron uh, basically making Burgundy the new capital yesterday. Uh, moths do a whole lot of damage to our glad rags. I'm seeing that as well. We didn't see one of the best things I saw on Instagram was two of my favorite, uh, two of my favorite items, um, sort of melded together in a delicious culinary feast, uh, and I didn't talk about that yesterday as well. Uh, how long should you wait eating free restaurant bread? Bananaing the topping of the pizza that has been missing. Uh, people beg women to dump a boyfriend after a cup of tea disaster. These, these are the this is the first world problems this is keep calm and cauliflower cheese is the epitome of your problems that really are affecting your lives like we talked about a tea kettle being washed up and the taste of vinegar these are important matters to get you through the life i mean keep calm and cauliflower cheese is the compass for your life so if you want to follow the north star uh you know proceed north march north and keep listening to keep calm and cauliflower cheese with your dear chappy. I saw one of the most delicious things on Instagram the other day. I never thought I'd get into Instagram, but there's a lot of interesting stuff on there and some real nonsense. I mean, you've got influencers out there who are getting free trips uh, to uh, Timbuktu, the Bahamas, uh, the Seychelles, Cancun, wherever, with no definable talent. And you're probably saying, chappy, what are you talking about? You have no definable talent other than a rather handsome voice. At least I know the one string to my barren bow, so to speak. But the Wigan Kebab, I mean, they talk about it being the most ridiculous creation to date, uh, but it fr is from Cutie Pies, which is, I guess, the name of the pie restaurant. It's a reinterpretation of the Wigan delicacy. Steak slice takes over from the traditional short crust meat pie, mushy pea mush, in-house brown sauce complete with the diabolical assembly. There's also a veggie cheese and onion version. But it's basically a pie uh, with mushy peas on it between uh, two baps. Almost like a burger bap or a hoagie roll or a couple of roll baps. And it's a meat pie. So you're biting in. You get the crustiness of the roll. You've got the mushiness of the mushiest of peas ever. I mean, it does look like uh, it looks like you've melted an alien. That's how green these peas look. 
And then below that, you have a, almost a triangular piece of joy, a good triangular meal, which is the crusty, uh, pastry-filled delight, whereas it's a steak slice with uh, shortcut pastry wrapped around it. And so it's a meat pie with some veggies in, I'm sure. And then you get uh, some brown sauce. That They say the homemade brown sauce, but it's the traditional, almost like the HP sauce underneath. So you've got crusty, gooey pea, uh, and then a delicious piece of uh, meat pie, steak pie, and then you get the tanginess of the brown sauce underneath. I think it's a phenomenal creation. I don't, whoever came up with it, an absolute genius. So it's, it's cutiepies.uk on Instagram. Look at their meat pies. Uh, I want to probably um, meet these people and uh, go into partnership with them because I get so sad about not getting a meat pie regularly here in the US. I love my Cornish pasties. It's so difficult to get. I mean, you can get Cornish pasties here in Colorado, uh, but you need a chair, a whip and a gun and, and, and probably uh, a lot of money and uh, some great persuasive skills to find meat pies here in, uh, here in lovely Colorado. But it's a meaty delight. It's a new Wigan pie. Maybe a spoonful of mash and it'd be absolutely delicious and delightful. So the topic of no motorbikes, uh, I saw, I mean, there was a rather slender chap with a, a bigger lass on the back of the bike. Now, I was wondering, I'm not a huge fan of motorcycles, and they weren't wearing helmets, so imbeciles, basically. Uh, but they, so the, the slender chap, almost skeletal, was on the front, and the bigger, bigger young lady was on the back. Now, is it better to have more weight on the front or the back? That is the question. I mean, it looked like the suspension at the back was under the strain. But, uh, you know, is it, is, it, is it more damaging for the suspension or uh, the engine to have more weight on the back or the front? This is a question. I mean, it looked like the tires were starting to wear down and be a little bit threadbare at the back. So this, this young lady uh, sits on the back quite a lot, it seems and is causing all sorts of friction and tension on the on the on the tires at the back of the motorcycle um so i don't know i mean i remember the days when people used to ride on the behind on the on a on a bicycle um but probably not this uh, this tonnage of weight uh it looked like free willy had been freed in in, in this sense um and I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a concern because this poor chap is going to uh, have a lovely bike that's perfectly all right at the front and at the back it's uh, laboring and dragging along in a pretty nasty fashion. Uh, but also it made me think as well. I mean, one of my aims as a young man was to ride in a sidecar. I have no interest in riding on a motorcycle. Uh, I, I, you know, I wouldn't look very good in leathers. It would look like a double cheeseburger squeezed into a single cheeseburger bun, basically. If I, uh, if I squeezed into the leather, leather trousers, the leather catsuit, whatever they wear for uh, motorcycling uh, efforts. But, um, but what happened to the sidecar? Because the sidecar was quite appealing. I felt like putting one of those old-fashioned leather, leather flying hats on with goggles and sitting in a, in a, uh, in a sidecar, maybe stroking a corgi or something. 
I mean, it seems quite nice. You get the wind flowing through your hair, unless you have the sweaty leather flying helmet on. But I think that's all part of the thing, you know. And maybe a fairly erect sort of scarf uh, trailing behind me. Um, but uh, alas, I have not yet to find somebody who uh, feels that they could maybe take my tonnage in a sidecar and probably complete their journey safely. I mean, that's always the that's always a bit of the concern here, uh, whether uh, whether you'll be able to get from Chappie from A to B safely in a sidecar uh, that probably hasn't been uh, enforced with extra tungsten or something along those lines. Um, but anyway, my dream lives on. Uh, I mean, some people dream about bungee jumping, not me. Uh, that seems like a big hung off a tower, a building, or a bridge with spaghetti. That's that's how it seems to me, and that spaghetti can only stretch so far. But the sidecar, you know, sidecar and ballooning, I think, are two things still on my bucket list. Uh, maybe the ballooning a little bit more, but that looks can be quite dangerous as well. But I'm thinking about ballooning, uh, not going up too high, with a jolly good picnic basket, some lovely sandwiches, and maybe a sparkling wine or a chilled champagne. So eggs are always a favorite on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. One of my staples. I mean, I could do without meat probably, but eggs, I don't know. So I could never, I'd be a terrible vegan. But are posh eggs worth the cost? Uh, this is what top chefs and uh, some studies have said. This is Tony Turnbull in The Times. As sure as eggs are eggs, the saying goes, except they aren't just eggs anymore, are they? Have you seen the supermarket shelves recently? In the UK, there are Blacktails, Burford Browns, Longstock Golds, Cotswold Leg Bars, Happy Eggs, Super Eggs, Rich Yolks, and Golden Yolks. You need a degree in poultry management to make the right decision over which egg is going to make it onto your plate and or into your teacup, or egg cup even. They aren't doing it just to confuse us, of course. We've become a nation of egg fanciers, with sales up 20% on pre-pandemic levels to 22 million a day in the UK. According to the data company Kantar, hashtag egg porn and hashtag yolk porn have been getting 800,000 posts on Instagram, and only about half of them feature pictures of orange yolks oozing over every millennial's favorite avocado on toast. Haven't got into the avocado on toast as well. Maybe I'm going to try the mushy peas on toast with an egg on top. That sounds lovely. And the smartest producers flaunt their celebrity credentials. So if you team cackle bean, they are chichi botches that grace the smartest delis, Tom Kerry, James Martin, Mary Berry. Team Clarence Court, that's Mark Hicks, uh, Yotun Alongi, or Team St. Yu, Rick Stein and Gordon Ramsay. There's so many different eggs to compete here. Uh, Rebecca Tonks run the family farm in uh, St. Yu near Truro in Cornwall and supplies Ocado and supermarkets in the southwest of England. Together with a collective of local farms, they pack about a million eggs a week, which dwarfs more boutique cackle bean based in Cotswolds. But in turn, they put way behind the posh eggs behemoth Clarence Court. What their eggs all share is a rich creaminess that puts intensively farmed eggs in the shade. It's the breed of hen. I've always said it's the breed of hen, darling. You know, a hen from another mother would, uh, would would probably, I mean, it's like pride and prejudice when it comes to hens. You know, rich breeding, my dear, that dictates the color of eggs. And while the dark brown shells of Burford contrast beautifully with the pale of the Cotswolds leg bar on Instagram, there's no difference in the flavor. It's all down to the quality of the feed. It's an expensive business making sure your hens are able to forage for the right nutrients and uh, grains. 
It's what's in the inside that counts, but you don't eat the shell. Nutrition is everything. You want a well-fed hen if you want a beautiful egg. It's not necessarily true that rich colored yolk is the hallmark of good quality egg though. Certainly the rich diet of maize and yellow flora marigold flowers will heighten the color and better the eggs do tend naturally to be yellow verging on orange, but the farmers can add pigment to the feed. I wonder if orange or yellow is the key color when it comes to eggs. My, my eggs here look pretty orange. They are organic eggs though, so that's maybe part of it. What people don't realize is eggs change with the seasons. In the summer, like humans, chickens eat less and drink more. That means the color of the yolks will be diluted. So just a couple of uh, hints here. The chef's guide to perfect the soft boiled egg. Chefs famously never agree about the best way to achieve the perfect balance of a just set white and runny yolk. In a boil off several years ago, Giorgio Locatelli, the chef, said that they should be constantly stirred for six minutes in boiling water. Michael Rue, the uh, senior of the French chef, argued that you should start them in cold water and remove them 60 seconds after it comes to a boil. And Delia Smith, the age-old uh, age chef, uh, says method is gospel for many and suits our eco-minded time. So you add your eggs to boiling water for one minute, then turn off the heat, put the lid on, and leave them for six minutes for soft. But uh, in terms of Gordon Ramsay, shut it down, you donkey! Um, he says turn the gas and counts up to five minutes and turn the gas right down and leave them to cook everybody asks is it four minutes for soft boil five minutes he says well I've cooked a thousand of them and every time it's four and a half minutes so Gordon Ramsay the doyen and you would never argue with uh, with uh, Ramsay he says the perfect soft boiled egg that you pop into your porcelain teacup or beautiful china teacup is four and a half minutes the question to you the listener so a little bit of a dilemma uh, maybe slight social faux pas here but get reading a lot of get reading a lot of stuff at the moment um clothes all sorts of items that i'm finding old clothes that i'm slipping back on after many years lots of uh loose fitting negligees that used to be a little tighter but now fit like a glove i mean many clothes are being given away to goodwill and thrift stores and everything else but what just to, and i'm asking completely for a friend here what happens if you uh, find a pair of lady shoes they're not my shoes i don't you know slip on the stilettos or the Kristen louboutins I, I don't do any of that but um what if you find some shoes that uh, and, and you know your ex has the same shoe size as maybe your uh, new partner so is it derogare is it a fashion faux pas or a social faux pas to um you know get the shoehorn out and try them onto your lovely's feet and uh and see what they think i mean th this is the whole thing i know it could get a little awkward for certain meetings if things were like monogrammed or something along those lines with uh your former partner wife lover whoever initials i mean that could get awkward with a you know let's say your partner had the start of the letter v you know or r or q or t for tabitha who knows i mean the monogram stuff could be slightly uh, slightly awkward without a doubt uh, and would you um would you get the dr Scholl's foot powder or a baby powder and just coat those shoes with powder just to get rid of any uh, 
old smelly feet issues or anything along those lines. Not saying that anybody had smelly feet, but would you would you think about that? Would that be something that you, the listener, would decide to do just to freshen everything up? But how much of a faux pas is it? You know, I could take the clothes away and give them, or sell, try to sell them. Because people are picking up free stuff all over the show. It's amazing how if you put something out and it's free, people come over. But in terms of the shoes, just think about that. Would you give your shoes to a new partner who used to be owned by an old partner? I, I guess it depends how, you know, the feelings of both parties, I suppose. Or if anybody ever finds out. Uh, that's, that's probably quite an quite a, uh, issue as well, maybe. But everybody picks up free stuff. So with all the butler duties I do, like the bending and squatting, not exercise-wise, but, you know, to put crockery into the bottom shelves and, you know, pull up the tea strainer or the cafetiere. You know, it's, it's quite a hefty job pushing down the cafetiere, uh, the uh, French press, and then um, releasing it to let all the aroma and the coffee infuse and everything else. I mean, that's a lot of work and a lot of work on a, on a butler's back. So the butler's back issue. It could be a condition. You know, like a uh, barnacle knee on a sailor or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, so I didn't want to lift these antique couches that, uh, you know, I may have said that my grandmother shipped them from England during Victorian times and, uh, you know, Queen Anne furniture or something. Anyway, the, this chap and his chapess, and I thought, I'm feeling very guilty here. Maybe I should help. But they were... They were small people who must have had their spinach, or for you UKites out there, it's like Ian Botham eating three shredded wheat. I've talked about this before. They had their shredded wheat and their spinach. They had Popeye arms, small slender arms, but bulging to lift these uh, you know, slightly vintage uh, sofas out of my house over over a barrier that I block off the uh, block off the hounds basically. Um, but an immense effort. So people will do anything, anything for free. So what is your favorite Van Rouge? Your French red. Uh, Bordeaux sees red as Emmanuel Macron backs Burgundy for French wine capital. Bordeaux is to lose out to Burgundy in a battle become world capital of wine amid allegations of political stitch up by uh, President Macron. The tussle between the two regions was sparked by the announcement that the International Organization of Vine and Wine was leaving its base in Paris to look for new headquarters. Bordeaux in the southwest region, Dijon, the capital of the Burgundy regions, and Rheims, the capital of the Champagne city, all entered the race, believing that the winner would be regarded as the center of the global wine industry. Rome is also in the running, but French observers believe that Bordeaux, home to such vineyards as Chateau Mouton, Rothschild, and Chateau Margaux, and Burgundy, which boasts the likes of Domaine de Romani Comte, are the clear favourites. Macron, who is expected to have the final say, is understood to have favoured Burgundy after Dijon, a socialist mayor, offered to endorse him in the presidential election next year. The president is a connoisseur who has uh, trained his palate before entering politics whilst working for Rothschild's Merchant Bank, founded by the dynasty that owns some of the French best vineyards and clarets. Macron avoided making enemies during the 2017 presidential race when he said he preferred Burgundy for whites and Bordeaux for reds. Oh, he's right on the bloody fence there, isn't he? 
And now he will have to nail his colours to the mast. Pierre Hamarak, uh, Mayor of Bordeaux, has offered the uh, OIV officers in the elegant Place de Bourse along the Garonne River, as well as the financial incentives. Uh, Sud-West, the daily newspaper, said they played all possible cards, but added that the region's chateau owners had been outmaneuvered by Francois Rebesman, the mayor of Dijon. Rebesman argued that the Burgundy was the natural choice. Its vineyards have uh, UNSECO world's heritage status and is open to an international wine and gastronomy uh, museum next year. He added that the OIV, nicknamed the United Nations of Wine, whose missions include harmonizing rules around the world, would be offered a 17th century mansion for its headquarters. Our city is an ideal choice in the heart of the world's most prestigious vineyard area. You know what? I have to. Maybe I need to call Rebesman, the mayor of Dijon, and let him know that I will gladly move the Chappie Butler Vineyard, where I crush grapes with my bare feet in the natural way. I will move it to Dijon, to the chateau, within just a couple of days. I could. I could move my bath, where I yes, yeah, stained slightly red. Uh, and I drain the mushy peas in there as well. Uh, but, but you know, when I'm making my wine and I'm crushing them with my feet, I would gladly take the tub with me to Dijon, to the chateau, and start about my work. So I don't know if anybody's taken their mind off the football result last week by watching some of the uh, Open Golf Championship that's going on. But I'm, I'm mixing between my uh, American commentators and then listening to Sky Sports uh, off the iPad when I just can't handle the American commentators. I mean, it is pretty dull hearing Paul Azinger drone on for about eight hours. I can't handle it. So I listen to the UK. But the American commentators have been waxing lyrical about Mr. Whippy. Now, this is not so some sort of sadomasochistic type of effort uh, that they have in the UK where... Uh, they play golf, but they're also chastising themselves and whipping their backs and whipping their fronts and everywhere else. No, Mr. Whippy is a type of ice cream um, and delicious, it's delicious soft serve uh, ice cream. And we, we have um, a little bit of information about the origins of, uh, of Mr. Whippy. So Mr. Whippy's beginnings in the UK Dominic Ficino founded Mr. Whippy in the United Kingdom in 1958. A Brit of Italian descent, Ficini visited the United States in 1958. Oh, of course, the Yanks brought it to uh, the UK. Mr. Softy, ice cream trucks in operation. His family, I mean, I wouldn't want to be called Mr. Softy, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it could, be a, it could be a whole litany of issues there. Um, his family had a background in selling ice cream and when he denied uh, the UK franchise for Mr. Softy, he decided to begin his own business in 1958 with a pilot of six trucks in Birmingham, UK. Mr. Whippy used pink and cream colours on its trucks and adopted the green sleeves tune uh, to alert people that ice cream trucks were nearby. I bet Henry VIII loved a Mr. Whippy back in the day. He probably ate too much Mr. Whippy. That's why he needed a winch to get onto his horse. Uh, the Italian company Carpinio uh, supplied the soft serve machines and the first Mr. Whippy ice cream was supplied by Englishman Ernest Pasiti. Thanks to fra successful franchising, by 1961, there were 150 Mr. Whippy vans on the road in England and 175 in the pipeline. And Mr. Whippy has even commenced manufacturing its own ice cream. It's absolutely delicious. 
so soft serve in a in a cone. Uh, you don't you know, nothing fancy like the waffle cones, just an ordinary cone. And then you can stick the wonder of the flake in the middle. So you have a Cadbury's flake, which is very flaky milk Cadbury's chocolate, uh, and it's uh, and it's made into it almost looks like a, a stick-like thing, a, a thick stick that goes into the uh, the top of the ice cream. So you have the soft serve, so the creaminess of the soft serve, and then you have the Cadbury's flake. I mean, it talk about the icing on top of the cake. I mean, this is the uh, this is the wonder and delight and marvel on top of the cake. I mean, it's almost the flake is an angelic presence amongst other angels, which is the ice cream. That's how lovely the Mr. Whippy is. On a hot day, sitting in a deck chair that's straining under your girth, a Mr. Whippy ice cream uh, will take you back generations, relax you, and give you a most wondrous taste sensation. I would like to welcome you to Trumpet Trombone. So, anyway, a lucky lottery winner who accidentally bought two identical tickets for the same draw had to share the jackpot with herself. Susan Gray from Statesville in the U.S. state of North Carolina is thought to be the first joint jackpot winner with only herself after scooping two halves of the $305,046 in the Carolina Cash 5 draw. Having used the same numbers for years, she had meant to buy the tickets in two separate drawers. But Susan mistakenly paid twice for the same night's draw, which luckily turned out to be the jackpot winning numbers. I thought it was a different draw. It was really an accident. I played both. I was really shocked. I couldn't believe it. I mean, in this case, Lady Luck has identical twins. An Australian man sustained an eye-watering injury to his genital area when he was nibbled by a five-foot python hiding in his toilet. I mean, it's almost like, got a black man between your legs, mate. Anyway, the 65-year-old had nipped to the loo, literally nipped to the loo, but got himself more than he'd bargained for when he plonked himself down on the seat. Police said the man had just sat down when he felt a pinch on his genitals. When the unlucky Graz resident stood up to inspect the bowl, he's stunned to see a huge albino python staring back at him, mate. The uh, snake reportedly belonged to a neighbour and had escaped before choosing the unsuspecting man's toilet for a nice spot of rest. The uh, local reptile expert and uh, police officers were drafted in to remove the unwelcome guest. Uh, <laughs> I, I get, w- w- did they hi- hold on to the python or the gentleman's snake uh, the bitten man was taken to hospital and treated with minor injuries but luckily escaped with a little more than a nasty shock and a story to tell medics confirmed him that pythons are not venomous but was treated to the bite marks i mean draining the main vein has a whole new meaning to it now and a mum had a shock when she found a handwritten note tucked under her car windscreen wiper saying shut your blinds when you're walking naked Alex Taylor denied that she ever walked around naked with the windows visible, but she said she did lock the door and turn the lights off whilst wearing a T-shirt over a pair of French knickers. Um, The note reads, It would be much appreciated if you could just uh, shut your blinds when walking around naked. My kids do not want to see your arse out on show. Much appreciated, your neighbours. Mum or two, Alex, car sales manager, the note was bizarre, but admitted she often walks around wearing less. 
They're lucky they caught me quite covered up on this occasion, she said. I think Prudence approved as a new Karen in the war against nakedness. So the toilet paper saga is striking back. There are a few rolls of toilet paper to be found on supermarket shelves, but a bit of luck, Aussies can win one in the arcade instead. A wave of panic has set in. Uh, motion estates force residents into new strict lockdowns in Australia. Australians have been stripping their local shop uh, shelves bare of essential and sought-after items, and the COVID-19 pandemic is hitting back. No item has been more desirable, of course, than toilet paper. One prankster in North Queensland decided to have a laugh by filling his skill tester machine with dozens of precious rolls. Brandon Wright invited people to test their skills in the toy soldier machine, which cost $2 to play and give users three attempts to bag a bog roll. Uh, he told the Townsville Bulletin, It started off as a joke between friends about toilet paper shortage. They think it's hilarious and a great idea. You just have to look on the bright side of life during these uncertain times. As you say, a day without laughter is a day wasted. Hmm, that's Australian for bonkers. That claw is never going to grasp to John Wayne's flimsy toilet paper. That shit isn't sticking to anybody. We have the story of Elon, Richard and Jeff. I mean, it almost sounds like a cartoon or a fairy tale. But basically a fairy tale for them getting up into space. So Branson went up into Unity... And was the edge of space last Sunday. But basically, I see this as the ultimate penis measuring competition. Which billionaire has the biggest dong? Um, and proof of the pudding, I guess, is in the eating, although you wouldn't want to go around eating their phallic rockets or anything along those lines. But their rockets, or two of the rockets, I believe, have a very phallic shape to them. You know, they have the, the, the girth where, I guess, the astronauts are in, and the headpiece is quite sort of bulbous and phallic, to say the least. Um, Branson's rocket, his Virgin rocket, well, Virgin, I guess it, none of them are virgins, but Virgin Galactic rocket, the Unity, uh, didn't look phallic. But Jeff, I think Jeff's rocket, when he's going up with his brother, he'll be uh, easing himself into the phallic-shaped rocket uh, in the next week or two. So he's going to be next into space, and I guess Elon will as well. And I have no clue whether Elon's rocket manhood space station or not. It's been rather super having you here uh, for the second edition of the podcast. So Chappie Towers is moving, uh, so there'll be more tales of that uh, next couple of weeks. I am going to try to fit in two podcasts over the coming weeks, but I am moving. So you may have to do with one podcast. I'll definitely get one to you, maybe two in the next couple of weeks. Um, but we shall see. We'll see how everything's going with that. Because I'm, you know, I'm finding a lot of tweed uh, that needs to be packed and some plus fours. But I like to have my socks pulled up high uh, over my trousers whilst I'm playing golf. Uh, but we shall see. So today's edition, uh, you have the audio version, uh, and you can hear that across uh, Apple Music, uh, Spotify as an audio version, uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pandora. Uh, 
slacker all of these different places you can uh, you can tune in and listen to the podcast but there is a musical edition of the podcast on spotify where i throw in a few tunes so this week we have like chris rea dj jazzy and the fresh prince katie perry paul mccartney southern freeze pink floyd katrina and the waves a couple of wham classics earth wind and fire uh, and then the yacht rock to finish as well so that's what we have so uh you know if you if you like a little bit of music then uh then you know you can listen to the tunes and drown out chappy if you just want full force chappy then the audio version is for you so we finish with the poem it's john betram at treberific a mile of sunny empty sand away a boy sits by the surf and clasps his knees don't care don't care don't care the breakers say a mile of sunny empty sand away Joan, Tom, Ralph, Alistair, and Phoebe play. But Biddy whispers to the foam-flecked breeze, We're sorry, 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 come back, please. A mile of sunny, empty sand away, A boy sits by the surf and clasps his knees. Red admirals basking with their wings apart, Up on the links, it's been like this all week. Plus fours and baggy caps look very smart. Red admirals basking with their wings apart. As serious golfers make an early start, the niblick and the mashy and the cleek, where light and dappled shade play hide and seek. Red admirals basking with their wings apart up on the links, it's been like this all week. Then the cool silence of St. Enodoc, her spire bent like a crooked witch's hat, a grave, a style, a dandelion clock. Then the cool silence of St. Enodoc, a clergyman attends his little flock. The psalms, the lesson, the magnificence, the creed, the prayer, the anthem, all of that. In the cool silence of St. Enodoc, her spire bent like a crooked witch's hat. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Enjoy the sun. I think it's sunny in lots of places at the moment. So uh, slip, slap, slop. And uh, I will see you again next week. Cheerio. Chappy out.